So when I was in college, I had a job working as a youth pastor in a local church. And about midway through the summer, one of the teenagers invited me to participate in an activity that was just becoming big, at least in that part of the country. And sometimes this activity would be played outside, but in this particular instance, it was indoors in a warehouse facility. It was a war game involving weapons, guns. Not real bullets, but rather spheres were the ammunition about the size of large marbles that when shot and hitting a person or an object would explode with paint. This was the beginning of paintball. And so I merrily made my way one evening down to this indoor complex. The second I walked across the threshold, I was uncomfortable. I knew this, I was a fish out of water. There I was in my white t-shirt, white shorts, white socks, and white shoes. And everyone else who was there in black and camouflage, in dark colors with painted faces. On all the walls there were military recruitment posters, there was dark music playing and a smoke machine. I mean, I was not sure that this had been a wise choice. After getting our equipment, we were ushered into the war theater, only to discover that it was lit with black lighting. <laughs> you couldn't see anything or anybody anywhere. Except for one fool <laughs> who shone like a full moon on a dark night. And this particular fool had craters like the moon all over his body because he was an obvious and frequent target. I don't know if you've ever had an experience where you felt like you were in a very uncomfortable place. A place you didn't even know how to act or to function. But I think that many of us perhaps feel that way about the world that we live in right now. I hear from other parents who say, boy, how do I raise my kids faithfully with all the complexity of this world? The older generation says, man, the changes in technology and relationships and the way that human beings are functioning with one another. Man, this is a foreign planet. Church leaders lament the clear destruction of old church structures that seem by the day to be fading away, and it makes them nervous. And even the younger generations, while much more adept at the ever-changing and complex world that we live in, from time to time a thought, how is it that I navigate this new planet with all of its complexity, sometimes good, but often not so good? We think about technology and we think about medicine and science and relationships and the many ways that we see massive changes, but included in this complexity, religion, Christianity, even Adventism. And we wonder, how is it that we live in this increasingly complex conversation with all manner of influences around the world. And it is to this particular complexity 
that I wish to speak this morning. In fact, I'd like to offer two basic reflections on how we might navigate the complex religious, Christian, even Adventist waters that we find ourselves in today. The first observation would be this, that we must ask the question, who is it that has created this great complexity? A surprising answer, perhaps, but I would suggest to you that it is God himself. We go way back to a hint of it in the Old Testament. Yahweh is speaking to his chosen people of Israel, but letting them know that he is not biased. He tells them that he loves other people, even the foreigners. And then this comment to his folks, Deuteronomy 10, and you are to love those who are foreigners. Now that just made things quite complex, didn't it? You are going to engage meaningfully with those who are not Israel. Jesus blows this thing wide open with comments like this one in Matthew 5. Many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is a vision of the church, of the kingdom of God. This is going to blow up huge in great diversity. The Holy Spirit gets in on the action not many years later. In the book of Acts, the outpouring of the Spirit and those first Christians begin to speak in tongues, in many languages. We read the reaction of people in Acts 2 when they heard this sound. A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Well, we know what it means, don't we? After 2,000 years of Christian church history, there's been about 100 generations of Christians since the time of Acts. Each generation putting their unique cultural impress on the church. There are some 7,000 languages in the world today and groups like Tyndall and Whitcliffe trying to put the scriptures into every one of those unique cultural languages. Think of the diversity. All of the personality types. All of the cultures. There are 2.2 billion Christians in the world. 1.2 billion Catholics. 800 million Protestants with tens of thousands of unique denominations. 200 million Orthodox Christians. A hundred years ago, two-thirds of Christianity was in Europe alone. But today, just a quarter of Christianity we find in the European continent. Huge complexity and diversity in the Christian world. But what about Adventist Christianity? 18.2 million Adventists. Greater than 76,000 unique local congregations. We now are in the 10th generation, give or take, of Adventist Christianity. Think of the complexity, my friends. 
think of the fact that even a hundred years ago, nearly 60% of Adventist Christianity was in North America. Today, just a little over 5%. What a complex world we live in. And it's not going to change if we believe prophecy. Revelation chapter 7, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. It's complex. Apparently when Jesus said, uh, today in the first century, it's a mustard seed. But let me tell you what's coming. A tree bigger than all the other trees with a myriad of branches and leaves and fruit. It's going to be complex, Jesus says. And maybe from time to time you have an impulse that says, how do we make this simpler? I'm not okay with the discomfort of all of the diversity. Actually, I came up with a solution. And I took a picture of it to illustrate. Here it is. There it is. A church with nobody in it, you see. That's one way to simplify things. But this is not far off from what some groups do. I know a group of people, about 30 in number, who decided that they would together go to the mountains and they would form the one true church. That's how they could simplify things. But only a few years later, they discovered that even the number 30 can create certain complexities, certain kinds of diversity that could no longer be acceptable. You see, the first question is we consider, how do we navigate these complex religious Christian Adventist waters that we're in? First of all, let's just realize this was God's design, not ours. A small, simple monolithic Christianity could have been had, but we see in Yahweh, in Jesus, in the Holy Spirit, and throughout Christian church history that this is not what God designed. Not a mustard seed, but a huge tree. So then, gaining some comfort from the fact that all of this complexity we face is not the design of evil, but rather the design of God himself, we move to the second question, which is, how is it that we faithfully navigate on solid ground these complex times? I want to begin with a quote from C.S. Lewis, who in the book God in the Dock, there is an essay that he wrote called First and Second Things. Listen to what he says. You can't get second things by putting them first. You can get second things only by putting first things first. Interesting. Now those in the counseling community understand this quite well. Uh, a couple that's wishing to be married uh, comes to you for preparation for that Union, and you say to them, now you have many relationships in your life, your moms and your dads and other family members and close friends, but what is important for this relationship to be successful is you must now put your marriage relationship first and then invest in all the other important relationships in your life. 
For if this gets confused, if secondary relationships become primary, and that primary human relationship becomes secondary, you're going to have a problem. This is not going to go well. And so you counsel a couple and say, look, first things first, this marriage relationship, second things second, the other relationships in your life, and all of those relationships then have the possibility of being healthy. Financial counseling, what do we tell people? You've got to get your tithe and your offerings and your savings for the future first. And once that is rock solid, then you consider all of the other ways that you invest in your budget. If you don't get first things first and then put second things in their place, nothing is going to work. We say this to our children, don't we? Kids, broccoli first, then the brownies. And let me tell you, if this gets out of order, there is trouble. Okay? The trouble is twofold. First, the broccoli will never get eaten in that order. <laughs> but second... I submit to you that the brownies themselves do not taste as good if the broccoli has not been consumed first. Lewis says, everything is messed up if we don't have a way of prioritizing what ought to come first and those things that may be important and wonderful, but they should come second. Now, one of the most important thinkers, in my judgment, of Adventist Christianity is the historian George Knight. And a few years ago, on the year of his retirement, he wrote a book. And the focus of that book was being concerned about his tribe, Adventist Christianity, and how it could faithfully navigate the future in a complex world. And the title of his book, provocative as all his are, If I Were the Devil. If I Were the Devil, he says. Okay? And he makes comments like this. I want to give you a bit of a flavor. If I were the devil, I would get the church to think small. Okay, very narrow thinking. How about this one? If I were the devil, I would get people to believe that there exists only one way to do something and that everybody has to do it that one way. Or this one. If I were the devil, I would make the church afraid of the Holy Spirit, afraid of change, afraid of where God might lead us. If I were the devil, he says, I would get the church to as much as possible, think tribally, nationally, and racially. Again, very narrow. If I were the devil, I would put my best energies, he writes, into getting the church to reject the ideas and plans of the coming generation. And then here's the one I want to focus on. He says, if I were the devil, I would get the church to hold that all of their beliefs are of equal importance. Whoa. That there's no first and second things, basically. And then he elaborates. He says, to the contrary. The plain fact is that having a saving relationship with Jesus is at the very center of Adventism. That relationship is not at the same level as eating a pork chop. He writes, I have known Sabbath keepers who are meaner than the devil. <laughs> and I have even known vegetarians who are meaner than the devil. 
The church needs to think of its beliefs in terms of what is central and what is at the edges. And then he punctuates with this sentence, it is all too easy to be an Adventist without being a Christian. What Knight is saying is that we must have first things and then second things. Now hear me clearly. What the scripture says about all kinds of behavior and belief, all of that is important. He's not arguing that that's not significant. He's saying that some things are even more core than other things. And if we lose this idea, we are in serious trouble. And I want to illustrate this for a minute. So, I need Hillary and Missy and Zach uh, to assist me this morning. Are you ready? I think this is a bit of what George Knight is up to. So, um, I hope you've brought your strong muscles today. But first of all, I'd like to see if our lead flautist here can rip apart this Twizzler. Give it your best shot. Oh, very good. Thank you. Very, that's, a, that was, that's incredible right there, right? Yeah. All right. Now, why was this uh, possible? Well, this does not have any strength in terms of its fiber. Right? It's just flimsy material. It easily falls apart, well, with all due respect. <laughs> if there is no strong first things, friends, if there is no core relationship with Jesus Christ who speaks to us of God who is active, a rigorous morality, the cross, salvation, resurrection, which gives us a firm future. If, if we don't have that, we're going to fall apart. Okay? Now, second illustration. This pencil. I'm glad you're wearing safety goggles this morning. It makes me feel better. <laughs> Let's just see if you can snap that in half. Ah, oh, very good. Yeah, very nice. <laughs> That's excellent. Now, now, it may seem strange that, that something so firm and solid could be snapped so easily. But you see, I think that part of what Knight is driving at is if everything is a hill to die on, Every form of worship, every behavior, every way we use money, everything we do as a church, every little tiny belief that we might have about everything under the sun, our faith is going to snap if we're that rigid. It's going to be gone because it is a focus on so many second things that make our religion, our Christianity, our Adventism actually quite brittle. All right? Now, Zach... I've had you in class, so I know you're a tough guy. In fact, you gave me a hard time in class, and so kind of glad you're here. Kind of glad you're here this morning, actually. So I'd like you to rip this in half, please, with your great strength that you clearly have. Stand up. Can everyone see this object? I, I want to make sure the cameras are on this. No, no, we got time. Ah, it's close. I can hear it. I can hear it start to, to break. I quite sure it was beginning the process of falling apart. Um, this is super strong, right? Strong fiber, great core. But what is it? It's flexible, right? It's flexible. I think this is exactly what George Knight is talking about. 
a super strong core. Christ revealing God and morality, the meaning of scripture, the cross and salvation and resurrection. But there are times to be flexible. Thank you guys very much for your uh, participation this morning. If we don't have a strong emphasis in this complex world that we live in on the things that matter most and doubling and tripling down on those things and also knowing when, when to deal lightly and flexibly with other things, we're either going to fall apart easily just by shredding ourselves or we will be so rigid that we will snap. Now, I'd like to push this a little bit further this morning. And, and I want to consider the observations of someone who also is giving a bit of warning, in this case, to the broader Christian world. Uh, someone of my generation by the name of Gabe Lyons, who wrote a book recently that I think is quite important, called The Next Christians. And Gabe is trying to help the church faithfully deal with the incredible complexity in the world. So I, I want to read to you something that he wrote. He says, the first thing, notice the language, First things, okay? The first thing for the Christian to recover is for the Christian to recover the gospel, to relearn and fall in love again with that, and I love his adjectives here, that historic, beautiful, redemptive, faithful, demanding, reconciling, all-powerful, restorative, atoning, grace-abounding, soul-quenching, spiritually fulfilling good news of God's love. The truth of the gospel, he says, should illuminate Christian focus in the coming century. Unconcerned with outcomes, Christ followers must get back to the heart of their faith, recovering, relearning, and rebuilding from the core first and then out. He says, I realize this may sound too simple for some, but it's likely that the greatest results will come from returning to the tried, true, foundational truths of the faith. The biggest challenge that lies ahead, he says, will be Christians' ability to hold tightly to their first thing and let everything else take care of of itself. Now I want to make sure that we're clear about this this morning. Gabe Lyons is not arguing that the scripture should not influence all kinds of behaviors and that all doctrines are not important. He is saying we have got to make sure that the core is strong. All right, another illustration. One of my favorite uh, events or experiences here at Walla Walla University is the School of Engineering's annual egg drop competition. Okay, and I've got some pictures here to show you. Uh, eggs flying off about three stories with amazing contraptions built around them in an attempt to win the prize. Now, the judges make their evaluations based on aesthetic beauty and the materials used and how close the egg lands to the the bullseye, which is ironically a frying pan. But no matter how well you do in all of those categories, of course, the only way that you can win is what? 
the egg has to be, there it is, intact, right? The egg has got to survive the fall. All right, great event, by the way. I highly recommend it. So, this is how I think some of us, and I think this is part of what Gabe Lyons is looking at. I think this is how some of us see the world, the world of religion, of Christianity, of Adventism. So here it is. The egg is fragile. And we say, this is Jesus. Jesus is fragile. Christianity's fragile. Adventism, it's fragile, very, very fragile. Okay. And all the dangers in the world, the ground below, they are strong. And we have to worry a lot because Jesus is so fragile that he's just going to get shattered on the ground. And so what do we do? Like the contestants in the egg drop contest, we start to wrap Jesus in all kinds of things because we think this will help protect him. The ways that we worship, the ways that we think about every conceivable issue in the world, and we develop essentially a culture of Christendom or a culture of Adventistendom, okay? <laughs> we wrap it up in all kinds of things that we do. Many of them are not wrong or bad because we believe that all of these things that we think and that we do protect a very fragile Jesus. In fact, what's interesting in the egg drop contest is you most often can no longer see the egg. It is wrapped up so well. And I think this sometimes happens with us. We are so consumed with all the wrapping that we put with our religion that we don't see Jesus anymore. But we're protecting him. I think this is wrong-headed. I think there's another way to approach this metaphor. In truth, I think that the fragile egg in Jesus should be reversed. The egg is all of the dangers, and Jesus is the strong ground below. All of the Antichrist, all of the dangers that are up there are actually quite fragile in comparison to Jesus. All of the things that we worry about out there are weaker are temporal, do not have the capacity to damage him. Jesus is actually quite strong. So even a whole downpour of dangers will not impact the integrity and strength of Jesus Christ. And if we focus on first things, which is, who is, Jesus Christ, who reveals to us God, who is active in our lives, a rigorous morality, death on the cross, salvation free of charge, and resurrection that guarantees a bright future. If we pour ourselves into the strength revealed in Jesus Christ, we don't have to worry so much about all of the dangers that seem to threaten our relationship to him and the religion that's supposed to be all about him. My brothers and sisters, we live in a complex time, okay? It's true, and it's not going to get simpler, including in the world of religion, Christianity, Adventism. 
first, let us not wish for it to be simple. Because this is not what Jesus had in mind from mustard seed to a big complex tree. He is leading this. And we should have confidence in him. Second, let us care about all doctrine and all, of course. But let us make sure that we are investing most heavily in first things. And that which is most significant, which is, who is Jesus Christ. For in Jesus we have absolute strength. Jesus Christ, who is, theologians say, the very ground of our faith. If we do this, we should not fear stepping into an arena where we feel somewhat out of place. And oh, by the way, isn't that the point? That teenager that I was ministering to, who wasn't sure about God, who was less certain about the church, having a Christian willing to get shot at a little bit, some paint splattered on him, a little bit of pain along the way, for a greater good, Jesus Christ, in a human being's life, a new believer, gaining confidence in him. Congregation, let's not be afraid.